0: to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I gotta tell you something, people. Joanne was out shopping the other day, and I had this gift card for a place called Habitats for Humanity. So she went, and she got bamboo pillows. Now, I have never heard of a bamboo pillow, but these things are the most comfortable thing I've ever gotten, and they've made me stop snoring. So if you ever see one in a store, go get it. Anyway, we have a great show today. My guest, uh, he's he's just funny. You know, he's a musician, he's a writer, he's a comic. You know, I actually I was telling him before I just watched his uh cooking show that honestly had me laughing. And uh, we're gonna talk about that. My guest is Henry Phillips. How you doing, Henry? Hey, doing great, Steve.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. So we gotta talk about Henry's kitchen. Because, you know, I I saw, you know, as I said, before I before I have my guests come on, I go check out things. I checked out Punching the Clown last night and uh and, and I, I looked into the, the cooking show. Tell, my, tell these people what the cooking show is about and why is it so damn funny? Okay, well, I... I
1: like, you know, uh, this is a tough business. Let's start with that. And, uh, you know, I've been doing... Uh, I had a comedy act that I was doing on the road for 20 years, starting in like 98. And uh, everything kind of hit a standstill. And this is when I was about 40... Maybe, maybe uh, 42 or so, and about eight years ago, and uh, I was really at the bottom. I mean, I had no gigs coming in. I had just done the Montreal Comedy Festival and got no phone calls or mention or anything, and I was going through a breakup. I was living in my bachelor apartment. I, I really had nothing going on, and I, uh, I started uh, cooking a lot, and I, and I would go to YouTube, and I would just sort of look up recipes like how do you grill asparagus or whatever. And nowadays they're all optimized so that the, the, the high, you know, profile ones, you know, uh, Rachel Ray or whatever are the ones you see. But back then you would look it up and there would literally be a guy, a middle-aged guy in his attic, you know, in the dark, just looking into the camera and ranting about chili for 10 minutes and then cooking it. And, and I was watching this going, what? I want to know the real story. Why does this guy feel like he wants to teach people how to cook and who, what is it about a a middle-aged man? Mostly that seems like at some point in their life, they decide, you know what? I got to, I make pretty damn good chili. I need to start teaching people how to do it. And then even better when it looks like it comes out like crap, you know? So I was like, as a comedian, I was like, I, I, I can't help but make start making these on my own. And, um, so I made one. I made a French toast one, and I sent it to a buddy of mine, and I said, hey, I, I I don't know that I want to spread this out to anybody, but I was curious to know what you thought. And he posted it on his Facebook, and it got like 3,000 views immediately. And I was like, well, that's not what I wanted you to do, but that's <laughs> kind of cool to know that people like this thing. So I made another one called Chili for One. And honestly, it, it, it just – it was the classic viral video It was a couple hundred thousand views over the next couple of days and now it's over a million and uh I kind of did by accident what what everybody was telling me to do and you know you got to get a uh, a podcast or a, or a youtube uh video or all, all of these new media things that as a as an old stand-up comic, I was just like oh man, just you know give me a group of people at a nightclub and let me do it that way. But I kind of backed into the viral video thing. Um, and so then it became uh, partly a career for me because I was I was doing jokes, you know, in the videos. I'm basically doing what you could – I'm transferring the stand-up that I have and making it sort of like a, as if it's a guy just sort of ranting. And I was writing my music as the theme song for the thing, and then um, it, it became an outlet for me that I really enjoyed. And I kid you not, when I was – I was in Montreal uh, a couple of years later doing the comedy club up there and a bunch of guys showed up and they were asking the guy in the front selling the tickets you know who's the comedian and um, I, I remember the guy in the front was like oh he's Henry Phillips he's been on Jimmy Kimmel show he's been on Comedy Central and all these things and they're like ah, I never heard of the guy and they turned around to leave and they saw me walking up and they went oh my god are you the cooking guy henry's kitchen (laughs) and i was like yeah and they were like oh yeah let's and they they turned around and they bought five tickets to the damn show and that's when i knew that i actually was onto something in a career way and i've been doing it for eight years now
0: well it's funny because i i cook a lot me and my wife split cooking and um and just I watched the chili one and just the whole thing about when you say and it's happened to us all about the knife not being sharp on us. And that pisses me off because we got married in uh, a year a year in September and, and we have a, we got a new cutlery set as our bridal shower. and I'm trying to cut the damn tomato and the way you do it and just your whole dicing because, you know. A lot of people don't know how to cut a pepper, and, and they sit there, and you didn't take the seeds out. And I was just dying. I mean, as someone who cooks, and then I watched your Big Mac one, which is funny. And it, yeah. it's just, it's creative. And I think, you know, where does it come from? I mean, where no, does...
1: years in between those two, by the way. <laughs> I know.
0: Where is, like, where is the, um, like, the idea for putting a Sharpie on the bread? Does that just come from, like, your comedic comedic mind? Where do you think it? Because it's so bizarre, but it's so damn funny.
1: Uh, credit where credit is due. That one came straight from my fiance, the, the Sharpie on the bread. I don't know if it's something she had done once, but, but uh, that was hers. I gotta say, and I, I'm, I'm completely willing to take suggestions from people if they have funny ideas, but, uh, generally speaking, Steve, it, it happens because it's something that I've done. Um, the, the, especially in the beginning, I, I literally made a, um, Feta and spinach casserole thing that I was looking forward to eating, and I was living by myself at the time. This is before I was doing the cooking series, and I put the whole damn thing in the oven for an hour, and I remember just my appetite going crazy, and I was sitting there watching TV going, when's this damn thing going to be done? But I was kind of like, it's kind of weird that I don't like smell it or anything. I went back and realized that I had not put the oven on. I just had a thing sitting there for an hour and, didn't, and I was so starved. I was like, man, I'm just going to make a White Castle cheeseburger here. But, uh, yeah, that, I've done dumb stuff like that, and that's the stuff that winds up making it in the video, you know, um, countless things. Like every time I'm actually cooking and something dumb happens, I just write it down, and I'm just like, well, i got to do that. The most depressing thing is when, when I'm – doing a cooking video and something happens that it's not even on the camera, like me trying to open a package and then I hit something and knock stuff over. I'm like, now I got to recreate that and do it on the camera, you know?
0: <laughs> now, now, you know, you grew up on the East coast and you moved to LA. What, yeah. as a kid, were you interested more in music or comedy or both? Cause you know, if people aren't familiar with your act you do as yeah. and it says it in, in your movie, it says, you know, it's, satirical you know i love i love the line about um james taylor on smack and you're like well he was on smack
1: (laughs) it's a real thing that somebody said to me once yeah
0: now now what we what was your what was your interest first was it the music or was it comedy
1: definitely music absolutely uh well you know new jersey uh we were into uh billy joel big time and uh in the 70s you know there was like randy newman um I remember getting into Elvis early on and all that stuff, and uh, the the uh, music was just a huge thing for me. I don't think I developed a sense of humor until I, I got to be in my mid to late teens and I was playing in garage bands. And uh, my, I mean, musicians actually can be some of the funniest people in the world. I don't know if you have a lot of musician friends, but uh Man, I'm looking back at some of the people that used to just kill me, just used to crack me up so hard. Um, And there's such an inside scene too with musicians, so there'd be like specific jokes about, you know, musician, uh, you know, I I had a guitar teacher who would just always just have these great terms for, uh, for, you know, people that sucked at music or whatever. So, but there was a lot of humor going on in those days with the music and, and, and I started feeling like my musician friends were were telling me that there's something that you're doing that's funny, and you should you should probably try to do this at open mic nights and stuff. And I had a I had a song called "What Do You Want Me to Do About It" that sounded like it was going to be a meaningful folk song, and then all of a sudden it just sort of says, "But what do you want me to do about it?" And um, my friends talked me into going up at an open mic night and doing that song at a coffee house called the Highland Grounds out here and um i did it and and it was a hit and then uh that that kind of started a whole career but yeah my my sense of humor didn't really develop until probably my early 20s well once
0: once you got your sense of humor rolling before that were you writing were you writing folk songs? Were you writing serious songs, or were you just in a oh, band yeah. like playing? You said garage bands and you think garage bands is more heavy. You're fifty, I think I'm fifty six, so we probably have the same musical yeah. taste somewhat. Were absolutely. you absolutely were you focused on like songwriting, like serious songwriting?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when I was I'd say up until about eighty seven or eighty eight, I was into Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, all that stuff, you know, and I was really into being a rock and roll guitar player and started getting into some of the jazz fusion stuff that was getting really big at that time. And I would hang out at some of those live clubs and watch stuff. I, uh, something was telling me that that was going to be a really tough nut to crack in trying to be a, a rock and roll star. It's like, there's the one that gets the record deal and then that's, and then there's everybody else who didn't make it. So I started getting into like Tom Waits, uh, Bob Dylan, I started going back in time and listening to like, definitely those two guys. Um, and, and just really focusing on the song. I also got really into pet sounds, you know, the beach boys album and particularly started listening to the lyrics. And I started growing more fond of the art of, uh, songwriting and, um, putting a melody. Leonard Cohen was another guy. And, uh, I had a French friend who actually to be in the director for Punching the Clown, my friend Greg Viennes. We've been friends since college, and he would always turn me on to Jacques Brel and uh, Georges Brassens and all, all these, like, uh, famous uh, French singer-songwriters, and I just got really into it. But – and I would write real songs, you know. Um, but it's, it's really hard to be good at that. Like, when you listen to uh, – Dylan or Tom Waits, it's it's impossible. I know people have made fun of Dylan and done impersonations, and you know, but when you listen to some of that stuff, it, it doesn't lend itself to, to being satirized very easily because it's so self aware. As opposed to, you know, Neil Diamond, for example, you know, who who does sort of a little bit more of a cheesy version of some of that kind of stuff, and so I. I started realizing that I wasn't going to be the next Dylan or even Tom Waits, but I was like, you know, maybe I can be the guy who kind of, who kind of tries to be good at this, but I kind of suck at it. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I mean, nothing against Neil Diamond. I, I have like a, those are all guilty pleasures for me. And Billy Joel, you know, can be pretty cheesy at times too, but I, I love the music, but uh, so I, I started doing it and I was like, well, maybe this is a chance for me to do the music that I want to do. But by putting comedic lyrics to it, I don't have to commit to trying to be the next uh, brilliant singer-songwriter. I can be a comedian.
0: Right. Well, the funny yeah. the funny thing about Billy Joel is, you know, I and mean, I lived in L.A. I grew up in New Jersey. I lived in L.A. for 20-odd years on the West Coast, and... Back then, like out there, like all the classic rock stations always played like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Guns N' Roses, you know, they had the same bands. You come back to New Jersey, I moved back three years ago, and everything's Billy Joel. And after a while, I'm going, holy shit, if I hear about Brenda and Eddie one more time, I'm going to freak. Because I always liked his music, but you're sitting there going oh my God, you know, and you're right. It's when you listen to it now, like still rock and roll to me, you're like, it's yeah. so cheesy. But in the 80s, we loved it. We're like, oh my God, this is the best. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it sounded cynical and, uh, you know, kind of edgy and all that stuff. And now you're just like, yeah, Anthony works in a grocery store. We get it. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so um, I, uh, yeah, so... I started doing uh, this comedy act in coffee houses and every now and then was able to get my own night. It was, you remember a place called the Genghis Cohen? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. On Fairfax?
0: yeah.
1: Great, great Chinese food and also a great music venue. And uh, that became sort of my home away from home. And I would watch the acts there and I would even get my own night there and had about 30 or 40 people come down and pay like eight bucks or whatever to come down. And so I was making little bits of money at it and Definitely struggling. But uh, Bud Friedman, who owns the improv, which was around the corner, came to one of my shows one night because he had been recommended to come. And then he asked me if I wanted to start uh, going to the improv and doing sets there. And I was like, okay. So now I had to develop more of a traditional stand-up comedy act, you know, which was always a little tough because I came from the songwriter world. But I had a couple of jokes and stuff, and so I would sort of open with that. And that's when I started meeting other comedians and they started bringing me out on the road to open for them. So that was pretty cool because now I I was popular to, to be asked to, to be an opener because I'm, I'm not stepping on anybody else's shoes. You know, I'm doing a, an act that was at the time not a lot of people were really doing. So even Joan Rivers, uh, I, I opened for her for a whole week in Beverly Hill, she said the reason she picked mine was because I was doing music, and, and that's just sort of a more natural, uh, you have no idea when you have uh, two stand-ups how much overlap there's going to be in material, and so um, so that that was kind of my way in, but then, you know, when I was working at some of the clubs, they'd be like, hey, you know, why don't we have you do your own headlining week here, and so that, it, it became a career, and you know, i Really been good at planning, but somehow or another, I accidentally ended
0: up a stand-up comedian. I now no, I, I got a t- I got a question for you. You know, because you are your songs are different, and did it you you're not someone who does song parodies and, and you know that was i did, I did stand up on the road from eighty eight to ninety five so you know you're getting certain accent to song yeah. parodies and as a as a feature you're like what the hell man if i if I did that shit like in your in in the movie oh, yeah, with yeah. mark yeah, yeah, yeah. and Mark Cohen played that great but um mark
1: and he's doing his real song. <laughs> he's doing his real act, <laughs> but it kills me. Yeah, It's now, so great.
0: But did it? Was it hard for you to sit there? I guess no. Because you were, did you ever sit there and think, oh, i should you do a song parody because they're safer"? I mean, what was your mind frame? Because your songs are actual songs; they're not a parody. And sometimes comedy clubs are like, like we used to give shit to uh, um, impressionists who would do punchlines, and we go, "Well, the people are just applauding for the impression. There's no joke there." Like for yeah. you, for you, was it harder to sit there and fu- and sit there and be true to yourself and say, I'm just going to keep playing these songs because this is what I write and I like them?
1: Yeah, I made I made a decision early on not to do the parodies because I felt like that was my sort of way in because I was like, you know, I, I know that I could absolutely destroy it at comedy clubs if I went in with Wasting Away and Diarrhea Bill or whatever <laughs> it is. But <laughs> I... I thought, well, if I try to avoid that, then that that's that that will sort of categorize me in a different way, which I like, you know. And I had a tougher time in shows, but uh, the parody was—I mean, also it's like, weird how how do you even compete? I mean, he just he just did it so well and so perfectly, and then um, a lot of them would repeat themselves, and so uh, I just kind of decided. Um, I'm just going to try to be a song, a comedic songwriter, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was just a conscious decision, but the parodies, uh, you can definitely get a lot bigger laughs, but you know, again, like you said, it's like this, it's very similar to impressions. Actually. I have a couple buddies that are, uh, impressionists. My buddy Mike McRae is a great impressionist, but if you took away the impression, the joke would still be funny is what I'm saying about Mike McCray. And that's not always the case with a lot of these people. And so uh, I always wanted to be sort of like, you know, well, if you took the music part out of it, hopefully it would still be a funny joke, you know, the whole premise, you know. And so, um, yeah, there there is some similarity there for sure.
0: Now, when you, when you started going on the road, when you got to that, to achieve the headliner status on the road... Were you playing comedy clubs or little venues or both? Because I think comedy clubs, you know, and you said it was, what year was it when you started going out and headlining? Uh, 99, I think, was
1: the first year, year So people, I started going
0: on the road. People were sort of, back then, were still expecting, you know, stand-up, straight stand-up. When you, oh, yeah. When, now, when you went on, what would people expect when they came on and what would the reaction be when you weren't doing some schmaltzy cheesy song parody, yeah. but you had a guitar? I mean, what, how would the, how would that react for you and did that ever get inside your head?
1: Yeah, it was not, I'll tell you honestly, it was not very smooth. You know, my best bet was that they heard me on the radio or they were already fans and they showed up knowing what they were going to get. But if it was that late Friday show where uh, somebody's barking in the front and then just a bunch of drunk people are going, you know, let's see what the comedy is tonight. Those were always really difficult for me, so much so that in about 2010, I started taking all the jokes that I had had throughout my entire act and putting them all up in the front and putting down the guitar and doing 10, 15 minutes of stand up right at the top because the transition was too weird. I mean, the, the feature act would destroy with stand-up, and that's that's usually what people want when they go to a stand-up comedy show. And now there's a guy sitting there and songs. That was not amazing at all. When stand-up happened, it became a really nice
0: transition uh,
1: into the music.
0: What was as you were growing on the road, how was your act evolving?
1: Uh... I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, It was probably devolving a little bit, you know, because you, you start once it becomes your career. And if that club owner is standing in the back, trying to count how many seconds are going by without a laugh. And that determines whether you're going to pay the rent next month. You know, you start trying to go for the lower hanging fruit. You know, you start to do cheaper stuff. You know, I, I did jokes that I was like, I don't necessarily think this is super funny, and I'm a little bit embarrassed when the other comics are watching. And they're like, oh, I've heard of this guy, and then they see you make a cheap, you know, uh, joke about, you know, drinking or tip the waitress or whatever it is. <laughs> but I needed to do that stuff because I wanted to work, and I knew that they worked with the audience, and I knew that the club owner liked it when people were laughing and happy. So it, it, it changed a lot compared to what I was doing in the – early days of the singer songwriter thing it got a lot more jokey a lot more quick and I listen to some of my stand-up from from 2000 to 2010 and I'm like wow this isn't necessarily the way I would deliver it now and I will say honestly uh the kitchen thing is what one of the reasons I love the outlet is that I can literally do whatever I want I can be as slow or as dry or as uh, bait-and-switch as I want to be. There's no audience or club owner that's making me uh,
0: feel the pressure to do it a certain way, which I like. Now, I know you act, and I believe your father was an actor, right? Yeah, And I true. I looked it up, and, and I swear, because I used to do a stand-up night at the other Victorios. There was a Victorios in Burbank. And when I saw Victorios, your dad's the guy who's asking for the pizza, isn't he?
1: Uh, oh, in the movie. Oh, yeah, in uh, in Punching the Clown. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I looked. I up... didn't even remember <laughs> that that was the name of the pizza place. Is that place still there?
0: I think the one in North Hollywood is the one in Burbank closed. But when I saw it, I was like, that, "Holy crap!" I'm great. like, "That's thing." But no, because I I saw that you know when I ever when I ever done my research. And then it's funny because your dad was cracking me up, keep asking about the pizza. But has an experience like that ever happened to you, where you went in front of a crowd and it was a bunch of you know. Bible builders, pretty much and not expecting what we oh, would do. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it may, maybe not particularly. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. The, I, the, uh, I, I did Amarillo college one time. I was never told that it had to be clean or anything like that. I was just told to go there and do my act and get like ridiculous money for me at the time, which was an hour. I would get $2,000 for one hour and it was at lunchtime and it was in the cafeteria and I was like, "This is great. This is a piece of cake. It's college kids, so I think it's going to go well." I didn't find out until afterward that Amarillo College apparently is some Christian school, and it was Parents' Day that day, so all the parents were there with the with their kids hanging out in the cafeteria, and I'm up there doing songs about, you know, masturbating, and then about getting a hooker and doing all this stuff. I'm I'm using the f word. I'm I'm just saying everything, thinking that they're. they're you know, and, and it was really rough, and literally, and this is what we recreated in the movie. Uh, I, they had already given me the check beforehand, so I, I could have just driven away. But I wanted to talk to somebody because I just feel like I'm kind of a polite guy, and I did. I wanted to make sure I didn't screw anybody over. And so I went back to the office, and the the nice girl, whose whose job it is to book the talent, which is usually a college student, you know, usually like a. a sophomore or something, and and I, they, they were like, yeah, Carrie's in the back. She's crying, <laughs> and so I went, I went back, and this girl is wiping tears from her eyes, and I'm like, hey, uh, I just wanted to let you know I had a great time. Thank you. I'm going to be leaving now, and she was polite, but she was literally crying, saying we had no idea what the act was like, and we had a lot of people complain, and it was just the most miserable way. I mean, making $2,000 – Helped the situation for me a lot, but it's not a way that I wanted to make money, you know, by screwing over a bunch of people. Um, But yeah, that absolutely happened. There was another one that I did, you know, when you're younger, you don't know people who, you don't know a lot of people who have had cancer, for example, and except for maybe some relatives or whatever. And so you're just sort of a little bit more insensitive about it. You make jokes about it or whatever. In my act, I was constantly, you know, making references to things like this. But, you know, I remember one time in Louisville, Kentucky, there was a uh, entire audience that was made up of cancer survivors. And I had a couple of jokes and I, for some reason, cancer was just one of those words that I thought was a fun trigger word to get a punchline from people. (laughs) And uh, they just were not having it, you know. So, yeah, that happens every now and then. Now, and unfortunately, it makes you eventually afraid to say
0: anything. Well, I was going go to <laughs> ask you. You know, your 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 act from the movie and stuff like that. You know, do you think it would when you started out the stuff you did when you were younger? And like, say, playing in college, which is funny that people would get offended in college because I went to college in the '80s, and then I always say we weren't PC, but we weren't dicks, so nothing happened. You know, I mean, you know, you'd get wasted every time. You know, people would be we used to smoke pot and close you know the bottom of the door you know put the towel and you know we get you know we have like six people in a room just getting stoned and no one gave a crap i mean for now i mean how do you think it is for for if you were to start out now with your songs and you know talking about the hookers and stuff like that which is funny how do you think it, people would react? Do you think you would ever even get off the ground or would it be like the movie where people are sitting there making up all the shit saying, you know, you're, you're a Nazi because you don't like a bagel or you want to know where a bagel yeah, is? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's
1: tough. I, uh, I, I don't know what it would be like. My, um, chances are, yeah, the, the material would be very different, you know? Um, it, it, it gets really complicated, you know. I mean, as a matter of fact, just just um, recently I was uh, going back and forth with somebody uh, on Facebook, and I kept using the term "girl." And I said, "Well, I think what the girl meant," and and apparently that's a sort of a derogatory term now. I had no idea. I mean, I'm a fifty year old man. Maybe girl is uh considered condescending or something like that and I'm down if somebody feels that way then then I'm down to respect uh their um wishes and and call them you know whatever that they they feel like being called but um I think that uh when you're in your when you're in that uh that pool of people that are making those types of judgments and stuff like that you're you're much more in tune with it. Like me as a 50 year old man right now, trying to go to a coffee house and start from scratch would be extremely difficult if the audience is all a bunch of 20 year olds. But because I was part of that age range and everything, I kind of knew what was sort of okay and what wasn't, but, um, that there was definitely a lot less care. I mean, the, the guy, um, who started taking me out on the road to begin with was Doug Stanholm, you know, who I just uh, couldn't have admired more because when I watched him, I was like, this is unreal. Like I've never seen anything like this anywhere except for in a live show. And um, it, it was politically incorrect except for the fact that he was, uh, he was always coming at it. Not, not from a place like I'm better than you, but it was more like I'm one of you. And this is the thing this is. these are the things that we need to sort out you know um, I'd say a lot of stuff that everybody was kind of thinking anyway but not really saying because it's impolite more than anything you know right. but uh, but yeah now I think that everybody is so uh, into seeing other people's viewpoints that, that we're suddenly realizing like wow we're all extremely different in our opinions about stuff and it's kind of the whole social media thing is just uh, is much more a, a new thing that we didn't have when I started. So if you said something in a comedy club, nobody was ever going to hear about it in a school somewhere, you know. That's basically what it was.
0: Now, the Punching the Clown, where did you come up with the idea? And it's so funny because, as I said, people, if you haven't seen it, we can give a spoiler because it came out in 2009. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, but, you know looking back at it and it's true you know we, we talked about social media right then and as i said the whole thing that started going on about you you know being yeah. this awful person and just how and it's so funny cuz you did hit LA because there's assholes at the party who they sit there you know and they talk and it's one of those things but how did you come yeah. up with the idea and and it must be You know, it must be somewhat uh, intimidating to sit there and say, I'm going to write this movie, I'm going to star in this movie, my friend's going to direct it, and we're actually going to get it done. I mean, how did that whole thing come up, and how did you get it done?
1: Okay, so Greg Viennes, who I mentioned earlier, is a Frenchman. He he had uh, been born and raised in France and then moved to uh, California and went to UCLA, which is where I went, too, and we sat next to each other, and we were both political science majors, and um, he wanted to be a filmmaker, and then in my last year of college, I started doing that comedy that we were talking about in the coffee houses, so he went to Syracuse University to get a film degree, but we still kept touch, and I would tell him these stories about what was happening me, to me when I was going out. You know, like what we said before, I said, you know, I, this manager that I have says she, she wants to come up with a label for me, and she said, how about you can be James Taylor on Smack? And I said, I think it's okay, except for I think James Taylor actually was on Smack, like literally. And uh, so that you can't say that. It's like saying, Mike, you know, <laughs> Michael Jackson if he was a pedophile or, yeah. you know, like whatever <laughs> it was, you know, uh, <laughs> It's like saying Ike Turner if he was a wife beater, you know, it's like these guys actually did these things, you know. So she's like, okay, well, we'll table that and we'll figure it out. And uh, so my friend Greg used to laugh so hard at these things and he's like, we got to make a movie about this stuff. So for his final project at Syracuse University, he made a, um, a 16 millimeter uh, final project film that was kind of the prototype for Punching the Clown and it was a recreation of all these types of things. And then um, we tried to get it made on a bigger scale and we gave up because it was just too difficult. But um, at, at about 2008, this would have been about 10 years after uh, the big push that we had, because we had still talked about it as a dream, you know. Greg, he was teaching as a professor at, at UCLA as a film professor. He showed up to my door one time and he just said, we're making this movie. We're writing the script. We're writing the script and we're just going to make it i'll take out credit cards i'll borrow money from family i'll do whatever but we i have students that are out there making their own movies with these digital cameras and i didn't i didn't get in this business to be a teacher i want to actually do it and so he was so determined that we we hammered out the script we started doing readings and started cat thing and uh We eventually found uh, one of Greg's college students who was gung-ho, and basically said, Okay, you get uh, $15,000, and you're the producer. You have to make all the calls to the locations. You have to call SAG and everything. And if you tell somebody who's just graduating from college that they have a gig like that, they're going to take it seriously. And, And his name was Corey Wish. I think he did an amazing job. And... It was so fun to see this movie actually happening that we had been talking about for 15 years. Uh, Honestly, I think it's just determination. It's just there was no stopping Greg. He uh, borrowed money that those people will never see. I have two cousins that that, uh, generously donated 25 grand to the cause and have never seen a dime of it. I say it while I'm laughing. I apologize, David and Eric, and I promise someday you're going to get your money back. But... Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it did not do well financially at all. We didn't have it on Netflix for, uh, a couple of years and it, and it made some of the money back, maybe only about a quarter of it. It cost about a hundred thousand dollars to me. And, um, but just going back a little bit. So yeah, the script came easy because it was mostly based on real things, except this was during that time. Remember when uh, Michael Richards uh, went on his yeah. N-word rant at the <laughs> uh, comedy club, and which to me was so incredibly darkly funny. You know, it was like, oh my, this is incredible. And for a lot of comedians, I remember Dave Chappelle. I was seeing Dave Chappelle right after that, and, he, and he's just going, "Wow!" Like that's when I realized I was like, you know, ten percent. You know, I don't even want to repeat what he said, but it was—he was basically saying, "I think I was more concerned about how bad of a set he was having than I was about the offensiveness <laughs> <laughs> of the whole thing." You know, it's just like, "Ooh, this guy's having a bad set," and it—it uh, it just was a really darkly funny thing to watch. And to watch anybody in that kind of turmoil and pain, is just like, it can be funny to people in a in a weird way, but. And he handled it very poorly, and uh, but so so, what Greg and I were thinking is like, well, what if that's what happens to me, and yet I didn't even do anything. Let's let's say that it's like I didn't even say anything, but somehow I wind up getting the same kind of treatment that the Michael Richards thing. That could be really funny, because I always love that victim humor. You know, it's like Albert Brooks, uh, Larry David, you know, uh, Rich, uh, Ricky Gervais, you know, Gary Shanling, all those guys, who. To some extent or another, uh, some of them instigated, but some of them are just, like Bob Newhart's a great example of a guy who just is doing the thing that everybody would be doing in that situation, but it just, because of the crazy people around him, the whole thing just goes bad. And so that was really where we came up with that plot line.
0: Now, you get the movie done, it goes to Sundance. I believe you won crowd favorite in Sundance.
1: It went to Slam Dance, which was oh. the alternative Sundance. It was uh, still a big festival, but it was kind of the difference between, um, uh, yeah, it, it was more of the punk rock version of, slam, of Sundance, and it went on and during the same time. But now, still, a big movies
0: come out of it. Now, what was it like seeing yourself on stage and finally sitting there and going, "Holy shit, we got this done"? I mean, is it was it exhilaration, or do you sit there and? Uh,
1: I was like on cloud nine, you know, the whole time I was like, I've been telling these stories for 15 years. This James Taylor on smack and so many other ones. I have this roommate who was Batman and he asked me if I could dress up as Batman and do this kid's party. That was a nightmare. Cause I have no idea. And I'm not allowed to say Batman because he doesn't have the copyright <laughs> and all this stuff. I, I was on cloud nine sitting there in a, uh, audience watching, all these stories come to life and hearing people laugh at it. I, I couldn't, I thought it was going to be the beginning of that forever. And it, and it really hasn't been, you know, the kitchen videos has been a great outlet,
0: but uh, yeah, that movie was a milestone for sure. Now, what happens after you do that movie? Did you, cause it, you, you know, it had it got a cult following and a little bit later, did it help your comedy as an, as a draw or did it help you get better gigs because you had, a credit you know you had people go oh he was in a movie it's not like oh he was in this it
1: it did if i could condense the last 10 years into one year then i would i would be probably selling out comedy clubs all over the place but people would discover it so piecemeal that i would be lucky if there were five or six people on any given show seven shows a week at a comedy club. I would be lucky if there were five or seven to ten people at that show that had seen the movie, and they would make a nice core audience, and they were getting an experience that the other ones weren't. But it was certainly not enough to build a career on. But uh, you know what it did do is um, in New York, the movie really took off. I think partly because everybody in New York is always a little ahead of the game when it comes to new media and they were all into Netflix, you know, like they, they had given up on, uh, uh, cable TV and they just had their computer stream Netflix. And at some point everybody started running out of things to watch and they'd say, well, this movie punching the clown is good. You should watch that. It's about a comedian. And, um, when I was walking around New York, I'm literally getting recognized, and, and comics started asking me to be on their shows. And really well known comics uh, saw that movie. And um, that, that was big for me. It, it wasn't putting butts in seats, but to get that kind of, uh, you know, to have New York and the comics out there in New York suddenly know who you are, that was pretty huge for me. So that was great.
0: Now, did you want to pursue acting more, or are you one of those guys who just loves stand-up? I mean, there's some people, you know, I know guys who just, they, they act because a, a role comes along. But like Paul F. Tompkins just always loved, I've known Paul for years, he's always loved stand-up. He just fell into yeah. the acting because he was so quirky and he was so different. In fact, we told him to get out of Philly because no one was going to get him. And then he went to L.A. and he kicked ass. But he was one of those people who just loved One of my all-time favorite comedians right
1: yeah. there.
0: yeah. Now, for you, what was the feeling? Did you want to really pursue acting or were you, were you happy being on the road because there are some people who just love the road?
1: Yeah, you know... Um- I I would love it more if I could do it on my own terms as I get older if you told me hey there's 300 people in Boulder Colorado at the theater and they all have seen punching the clown and they love your kitchen videos can you do a show and we'll pay you a couple grand and I'd I'd be like oh man absolutely yeah but the idea of driving from uh, Terre Haute to uh, you know I don't know some of these, uh, you know, smaller towns, South Bend, Indiana, or whatever, and then and then saying, you know, hey, we'll give you, you know, sixteen hundred bucks, you know, for uh, Wednesday through Sunday. You have to do. That. We don't. Uh, but nobody here knows who you are, uh, so it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle. I won't do any do do that anymore. I I, I love. the the romance of driving from one place to another that's all great but the grind of of staying out there for a week is a, a little bit of a young man's game for me i don't think i can do that anymore acting would be great but i don't get to decide um whether i get the parts or not that's the problem i mean the only stuff that i've ever done acting wise has always been me making my own thing and putting myself in it or i was lucky enough to get um a part on Silicon Valley because the creator Mike judge is a, is a fan of the kitchen of the kitchen videos and punching the clown. And so he was like, yeah, if you can go on there and do the exact same thing that you're already doing. And, and I was like, great. But I don't think that I can uh, just, um, I'd love to do more acting, but I, I don't think that, uh, I think that would be an uphill battle, you know?
0: Now, what was you and your fucking coffee?
1: Oh Yeah. So that, uh, that was another web series and it was, uh, after the movie, after Henry's Kitchen, there was a company called Jash that was, uh, owned by Sarah Silverman and Tim and Eric and a bunch of comedians, Reggie Watts and and Michael Sarah, I think, and a guy named Daniel Kellison. And that was a traditional, they were, they were basically a studio, but for, for YouTube and they were like, you know, so you'd go in and pitch your idea. So I went in and pitched, uh this idea where I'm this guy who is polite and innocently asks for a cup of coffee, but it's such a pain in the ass. And, and it's based on a lot of true stories. You know, it's, it's kind of like we were talking about with the Bob Newhart thing, you know, where, um, you just politely do what everybody else did. And like, I've had times I went to a theater one time and the, and I smelled coffee and it was one of those like theaters where you'd see a play, like a small theater. And there was a girl selling, refreshments in the front. And I said, I think I smell coffee. Can I get some coffee? And she kind of made this face like, uh, you know, we have coffee for us in in the back, but I, I guess, you know, whatever. And so she had to go in the back and then put on a cup of coffee and there's all these people standing there waiting and then I thought, how funny would that be if there's like a health inspector who says that you're not allowed to sell anything that's not a pre-packaged, you know, and then they wind up getting fined. And, and so I, I just basically ruined people's entire lives just by simply asking for a cup of coffee. And so, yeah, we made eight episodes of that. And I'm real proud of them. I think they're really funny.
0: Isn't that funny how that stuff happens? Like, you know, and, and that's what I like also when you have a coffee scene in Punching the Clown where I agree where you should not you should pay for a small even if it's a big cup. And, and that, that shit cracks me up because I mean, I hardly ever get fast food, but one time I woke up, I was hungover I had a coupon for Burger King and it was like, and my wife never eats fast food, but I say, well, you know what, I'll get, eat croissant or whatever. So I go and I order the breakfast meals and I go, do you have decaf? Cause I don't drink caffeine. And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, how, how do you not have decaf? I mean, you're, you're serving breakfast. And then they gave me orange juice, but they charged me like an extra buck. And, and, they, <laughs> yeah, and, and I was so pissed yeah. off. Or it was like I was at the, uh, me and my buddy went to see Joe Jackson. And he played at this cool theater called the Scottish Rite. It's in Collingswood, New Jersey. And I didn't want a beer. He orders a beer right before the show. And they go, oh, you can't take it in. He said, well, why the hell are you selling beer? Why are you sell me a beer five minutes before the concert starts if I can't take it in and watch it? So there he's chugging an IPA, and he's like, I just paid 10 bucks for this, and I had to chug it.
1: <laughs>
0: he's got to slam an IPA. Yeah, no, that's
1: <laughs> tough. Yeah, that I've had that very issue. I, I remember going to a bar one night thinking, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to go in and have a couple of beers. And I, I went to the, the bartender... Uh, the bar, I, I, I gave him my card and the bartender said, now, if you use your credit card, it's like a $15 minimum or something. This is a long time ago. This is when a beer was like, you know, four bucks or whatever. And I go, yeah, that's not a problem. I'm probably going to have three at these just in this one sitting. And, uh, the guy goes, great. And he gives me a beer and then they say last call. So I, I have to, I have to close down. I said, well, wait a second. And then he says, that's 15 bucks. And I said, well, I didn't get to have three beers. And, He's like, I told you, I told you that it was going to be, you know, fifteen dollar minimum. I go, yeah, but you didn't tell me that I was only going to be able to have. So it was just one exact same kind of situation, and I wound up arguing with the manager and everything. It's like nobody could understand my side of the, the story. It's
0: ridiculous. Now you mentioned Silicon Valley, and I and, and you you you've recurred on it in a few episodes. When you yeah. started, do you think it was just a one and done? And what was it like working with with that cast because the cast and the writers, it's just such oh, yeah. a great show.
1: That that was another uh cloud nine situation. Yeah, I mean, um it was a real feeling like uh something had paid off for me, you know. Um I I was a role that I could do because it was exactly what I was already kind of used to doing anyway. Uh the cast were extremely friendly. To me and complimentary and stuff and um and yeah it it was it was really weird because i was already a fan of the show and it's hbo it's a big deal you know i mean there's like people walking around with walkie-talkies and there's green screens set up and computers and there's not a lot of people walking or making jokes they're just getting the work done and so it's a very kind of a, a it's an environment where you're like, boy, I hope I don't screw up these lines because that's going to mess up a lot of people's day. So there, there's some pressure there. So I was, I was legit nervous, but fortunately, I was playing a character that looks kind of nervous anyway, so it worked. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, boy, that's nice work if you can get it for sure, because that was a lot of fun and, you know, great meals and sitting in the trailer and waiting for them to tell you that it's time to go on set.
0: Now, how are you adjusting to this stay at home and I know you're in LA and LA is going a little crazy. How is it as a performer? You know, I was talking to a songwriter last week, the guy from Cutting Crew, and he said, um, you know, in the beginning there were you had I had no creativity and now he goes, I'm um, now I have creativity and of course our band is all around the world, so we do it via Zoom and we record it, but he goes, You really can't you can talk to each other but you really can't record it via Zoom because your tracks are all thrown off. But he said then yeah. he got to creativity. How's it for you? Because you're a comic, you know, you're you're used to being on stage. That's that's your bread and butter. Does it do you get depressed at all because you can't get on stage? Or do you just keep writing? I mean, how are you handling it all? I I've had a little bit of the depression.
1: Um, honestly, I, I was kind of making my way out of the stand up thing. The reasons that we talked about earlier—it's like the, the gigs that I was getting offered, the money was getting less and less, and I had left people to do it. So it was kind of on the way out anyway. And I was working on my web series, so I do Henry's Kitchen once a month, and that, that's a fun outlet for me. And I monetize it through Patreon, which is Patreon is great. I don't know if you're on that for the podcast, but it's a great way uh, to have you know, have subscribers, and your fans uh, can support the, the work that you're doing. And I launched a new web series called The Highwayman, which is kind of a combination of the kitchen and the um, and the uh, coffee thing. It's sort of like a guy who, in the vein of like those old jokes, like the um, Landon and that Highway to Heaven, you know, where he, this guy goes around and tries to help people that are struggling in their life, a lot of times stranded motorists on the highway. But he doesn't know anything about cars, and he actually kind of the whole situation probably worse for them than it would be if he didn't even show up you know and I have a a ridiculous wig you know so it kind of looks like one of these old uh, 70s shows or whatever and uh, yeah it's called the highway man and that that has been uh, giving me a lot to do like it's a lot of work I do two episodes every month and I do them through patreon so to answer your question I think I'm very lucky in that I've always been somebody, and you obviously with your podcast must be like this too, I'm somebody that if the phone doesn't ring, I'm prepared because I'll just make up my own thing, you know, I'll just create something from nothing, which everybody can do and everybody should be doing, you know, so that if something blindsides you like this you hopefully can look at the things that you can do and say okay well what can I put out there you know and, and there's a lot of uh, ways to do it now you know yeah. there weren't a lot of these ways back in the 90s like when we made our own movie that was a big milestone because we could make a movie you couldn't do that back in the 80s you know?
0: now have you tried to get any juice and interest in Henry's uh, kitchen for regular TV or for Comedy Central because it's just it, it is it's funny that's the thing. It's not like, you know, and I don't say that because you're in my show. I, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a comedy snob. I like funny, funny. But I, I laughed out loud. And, you know, and that's the worst thing. Like when you're sitting there, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Like when you're sitting there by yourself in your house and you're laughing out loud, you're going, you know, if my wife's here, she's like, what are you laughing at? I go, like, oh, yeah, you got to check this out. She's like, oh, no, I'm sure it's good. But When you start laughing out loud, you, it's like that guilty pleasure you know but i mean it's so funny and and it's limitless because as you said you have the character you're down you have that character down you know the big mac one you know at the end of course you're eating a regular big mac but everyone associates yeah. with the crappy cheeseburger ever since the eddie murphy bit about you know oh, yeah, yeah, the hamburger. Alperger, yeah. yeah so everyone released risked that have you gotten any interest on the show or, or i mean or are you just happily doing it on youtube
1: uh, I I've never been able to get it beyond this. I I, I was looking up to get uh, recurring on on Silicon Valley, but the, the show. Um, had a lot of people. Is our connection by the way? Because I, I'm I'm getting noise on my.
0: You're cutting a little bit out on me, but it has it's been fine.
1: Okay, okay good. Um, so I, I've gotten emails from like uh, people that are pitching shows, saying, "Hey, I'd love to use your thing," but there's never any. They, they don't even offer me like $100 or, or something. You know, There's not even a nominal amount of money. Everybody just kind of wants to use the content but not make me a part of the deal in any way. I, I literally had somebody from the cooking show or the cooking channel ask, hey, we'd like to show your thing. And I'm like, well, I'm already showing you on YouTube. Because and, and, I, I said, well, what would the terms be? And then they thought that that was the weirdest question ever. Well, we're offering you and you everybody to see it. And I'm like... I don't know, it's a bit annoying. I was like, well, so you have a TV show and you're not able to pay even $100. Right. Sports, you're showing their content for four minutes, you know? It's like, no, so I just, I have not any fights on it.
0: Now, when the coronavirus is over, how long will it take you to start performing live? Like, if, if you can make your the decision when everything stops and everything opens, you mentally... How long do you'll be ready to get back on stage without worrying?
1: Uh, I don't. You know, there's that cliche about it's sort of like riding a bicycle. You know, sort of, I, I imagine. I've talked to some friends that are doing it now. Uh, my friend Greg Warren uh, did some kind of event, some place where they've got an outdoor uh, situation where they they were able to pull off a stand-up comedy show. And and he said that. uh, the first few minutes were a little weird, but then after he got the first lap, it sort of kicked right back in. The of and, uh, he was able to make an adjustment. I imagine it would be like that for me. Um, I would definitely want a whole hell of a lot of good material at this point because how do you ignore you know the last three months and you have a microphone and you have a voice to talk to people. How do you pretend like all that stuff didn't happen if you're back to doing jokes about dating, for example, you know? Right. Um, so I think there's gonna
0: have to be some new material to be done. Well dude, I, I want to thank you for coming on. Your website is henryphillips.com. You're yeah at Twitter, is it at Henry Phillips on Twitter? Uh Henlips. Okay. And then they can just they can just look up um, Henry's Kitchen on YouTube. Yeah, if you if,
1: uh, yeah, if you put it in Henry's kitchen, it should be like the the big thing that comes on YouTube. Or if you put it in Good or whatever. The other thing is you know, my Twitter is probably the easiest way to keep up with the yeah, It's the one that I do the most, and there's all the links there. So if people go to uh, at henlet on uh, Twitter, you can do it. Uh, but Henry Phillips, uh, is great. Or uh, you know, guy. I have a Facebook fan page also, and all kinds of stuff.
0: So. So, people, check him out. Go to at Henlips. Go go watch Henry's Kitchen. You're going to laugh. Watch Henry's Kitchen. Go to his website, henryphillips.com. Go on Amazon Prime. You can watch Punching the Clown. I I saw it last night. It was on Amazon Prime. You know, just say, hey, say into your little VCR, little remote, hey, I want Punching the Clown. And they'll put it on. So, people, check him out. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 800 episodes. Follow me on Twitter at coopertalk. Email me, cooper at coopertalk.net and I will talk to you guys soon.